All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Story Houston's online worship service this morning. Wherever you are today, I'm so glad you're here. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story. And if you're new to this community, um, either in person or online, I'm so glad that you're here to check the, the story out. And I hope that wherever you are along the faith spectrum, you find a, a, a place here to explore some of your deepest questions and doubts about God and the Bible and religion. That's really what The Story Houston is here for. Our mission is to inspire non-religious Houstonians to follow Jesus. And so you don't have to be religious to be here. We are at the end of a sermon series called Slow to Anger. We have these conversations about different topics or books of the Bible in five, six, or seven-week chunks, and this is the last part of a series. Um, But if you missed the first four parts, they're all online. You can go catch up later. Um, You can just hang in here with me today for part five of Slow to Anger. Um, This is one of those messages that (laughs) the people who need it most might be tempted to receive it the least. And the people who need it the least, they're going to be great with it. (laughs) So I'm going to say a prayer right now just for our hearts to be open to today's message before we get started. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word, to learn, and to grow. Today's message could be a challenge for some of us, and so I pray that We would have open hearts and receptive minds that are willing um, to be changed, um, that are willing to be challenged, and uh, Father, that we would place your priority, your will above our own. Um, That's our prayer today, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first uh, four weeks of this series outlined four steps toward peacemaking. Um, the idea being that Jesus said in, the, in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's a weird word. We don't use that in everyday vernacular. But a peacemaker is someone who aggressively makes peace. It's not a peacekeeper. It's someone who makes peace where peace is not. So what does it mean to make peace, especially in a world that feels like it's on fire, like the world around us has felt like in the last several months? We've gone through four steps already. The first one is pray first. Pray first means um, you talk to God about the people you're mad at more than you talk to the people you're mad at about how much they need God, right? That's the general idea is to pray about um, what your anger before you take it out on the people you're mad at. The second step in this process is find common ground. So we're looking for the overlap of your heart and theirs. And where are those shared values? Where can that respect be found? And that, that is such an important building block um, when it comes to making peace in the world. The third step is appealing to reason. And this is a matter of not letting your emotions get get the best of you. Not getting carried away with an emotional argument whenever you're upset about something going on around you, but instead just finding the uh, more objective approach of of coming at this with reasonable and uh, rational points. And then last week, Pastor Kale, I love the sound of that, by the way, Pastor Kale preached his first sermon uh, as a pastor, uh, and he talked to us about making peace by being slow to judge other people's sins while being quick to confess our own. And that sermon hit me right between the eyes. I'll share more about uh, why a little bit later. Today, we're talking about making peace by taking up your cross. 
Taking up your cross is an image that Jesus gave his disciples before he took up his cross. So it must've been super weird for them to hear him say this in context because they didn't know Jesus was going to be taking up a cross first. And yet he told them on numerous occasions that they have no place with him. They are not deserving of him if they're not willing to take up their cross before they follow him or as they follow him. Super strange um, idea there that we're gonna unpack in just a few minutes. I couldn't help but think uh, as I explored this theme of taking up a cross, I couldn't help but think about my wife. And many of you know my wife. And so what I'm about to tell you is not gonna surprise you in the least. But my wife is basically Wonder Woman. She is my hero. And I'm not just saying that to get brownie points like, Seriously, day-to-day basis, I'm always finding new reasons to be impressed by my wife. She is not a great, big, strong person, but she carries more people's burdens and baggage than anyone I've ever met before. I watch her literally do it all every day. So she's a mom of two kids, and any mom of two kids knows what a burden that can be. I thought parenting would get easier as they got older. That is not the case. (laughs) Parents of little kids, just get ready. The stuff you carry around for them changes, you know? It used to be like a baby bag, a tote bag, and a car seat. And now it's like emotions (laughs) and hormones and and, uh, homework, you know, all this heavier stuff that I see my wife carrying around for our kids every day and all the time there just seems to be more of it. And then I'll hear my wife talking to to her family in Ecuador. All of her family is in Ecuador where she's from and life's not always easy in Ecuador. And I, I can just feel her taking on those burdens by phone. So she's got the kids stuff that she carries. She's got her family in Ecuador stuff that she often carries. Then she'll hook up with her girlfriends and talk about their lives. And and I know every time she comes home from hanging out with her girlfriends that she's got a little more that she's carrying. Um, You know, she takes on some of those burdens too. In addition to that, she's a pastor here. She's the executive pastor of a growing church, the Story Houston, during a a time of crisis. And so she's carrying huge burdens, um, leading our staff and carrying out the vision of this church in these tumultuous times. She's got all of that going on. She's carrying all of that. She's 5'3", tiny little arms, not strong enough to possibly carry all these burdens, and yet she does. And then she comes home, and there I am, and somehow she musters the strength to say, how was your day? (laughs) How are you doing? What can I take off your plate, she tells me. What can I carry for you, she tells me. And then she throws in something like, hey, and dinner will be ready in 30 minutes. I hope you're hungry. I told you she's Wonder Woman. She's unbelievable. And I do not understand how she carries all the burdens that she carries. You might know somebody like that. You might have someone in your life that fits that same description. You look at at how strong they look, and you look at the, the cumulative total of all the weight they're carrying around with them, all the burdens they're carrying, and it just doesn't add up. And I just thank God for those people. In fact, why don't you take a moment right now? If you've got, if you've got a Giovanna in your life, uh, just take a moment right now and, and thank God for them. Just go ahead and thank God for the people who carry more than they should have to and so often do so without ever complaining. My wife's my hero, yeah. So 
the reason uh, th- this came up for me is I've just noticed lately how many people there are in the world around us right now who are appearing to be trying to carry burdens that, that they can't carry. And they're stumbling and falling and, and people are struggling. And you see it, you feel it. Maybe you, you're in it right now in a time where the economy's struggling big time. People are losing jobs every day. People face a lot of uncertainty. If you were depressed coming into COVID-19, I doubt that's gotten better. If you were addicted with an active addiction coming into COVID-19, I doubt that's gotten easier. Uh, Just a lot of people that are carrying a lot of burdens and not even to mention all of the the racial strife and police brutality and all these things that have been brought to the surface in our society and, and it's a scary time. A lot of people are really struggling. And so I only say that to point out that most of the people you're going to be coming into contact with today and in the days ahead have burdens too heavy for them to carry. And you might not see those burdens because you're not that close to them. You might not be privy to all the the baggage that they're carrying around with them, but you're going to see the results of their failure to carry it. You're going to see the frustration. You're going to see the fear. You're going to see the anger. You're going to see the pain of people who are walking around every day trying to carry burdens too heavy for them. And not only do they have the pain of those burdens bearing down on them, they have the the frustration of failure too. And so you're going to see it in the way they act out. You're going to see it in their rage. You're going to see it in their eyes. You're going to hear it in their voice. You're going to hear it in the words they choose to use. When someone goes off on a profanity-laced tirade, that's not just happening in a vacuum, in a moment, in a box. That's, that's coming from somewhere. They brought with them some frustrations, some baggage that's too much for them. I know some of you like church rats like me, you grew up hearing God will never give people more than they can handle. The Bible never says that, all right? People are given more than they can handle in this world all the time. People are given way too much to carry every day. You might not see the burden, but you see the results of someone being overwhelmed all the time. Every person you come into contact with is, is, uh, is likely to be carrying some kind of baggage that you might not see. So I was uh, thinking this week about myself in, in, in light of all of this and, and just how judgy I've gotten toward people. I am so judgy lately. That's why Kale's sermon last week hit me so hard. Pastor Kale gets up and says, be slow to judge people. And I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> That's my favorite pastime lately, judging people. And I'm not really a judgy person. That's not my style. I'm not a judgmental person. It's not in my nature. But, but lately, I've gotten better and better and more comfortable at judging people. Um, just, I think it's because I'm, I'm running on empty, like a lot of you are running on empty because this season just has worn us out. I was in a, a board meeting for a nonprofit board, the Lifehouse Houston board that I'm on, and, and uh, we were looking at the budget, and there was this line item in the budget that I didn't understand. It was a personnel budget item, and, and I asked about it, and the executive director explained it to me. She said, that's the money we use to send our staff to mandatory counseling therapy sessions every month. 
Because if we don't, we find that they run out of compassion. They, they enter into a, a phase of like compassion fatigue and they're no longer able to treat our clients or our residents and our homes with, with adequate compassion like they did when they began with us. That's what happens, right? Our, our tank runs low and we run out of, of the ability to be compassionate. And I feel like that's what's happened to me as I look at how judgmental I've got. And, and especially the fact that I sit kind of in the center on a lot of these political issues that have been so hot button, everything from, you know, police brutality to masks and everything. Like I'm uniquely positioned as pretty much a centrist politically to judge everybody around me. <laughs> so I get to judge the right and the left with impunity, right? It's a full-time job judging people when you're a centrist in the United States of America. So, you know, when the whole like police brutality videos went viral, like I stood on my soapbox and I judged, you know, people that defend the police sort of carte blanche style and like, you know, ask questions. Like when did the, when did the police become, you know, SEAL Team 6, like when did they get so armed up and when did they get so militarized and we got to do something? But then a few days later, the people that were on the left cheering me on, you know, saying and thinking things like that, people on the left are like, defund the police. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I don't like that either because if my house gets broken into at 3 a.m., I don't want a social worker to come and help me out. <laughs> I don't want anyone with a master's degree showing up at my house at 3 a.m., to help me fend off some, you know, burglars, I want SEAL Team 6. <laughs> so when you're in the middle, it lets you be a hypocrite, basically. And many of us are in this place of just constantly judging everyone else for having their opinions, especially when we get worn out, especially when life wears us down. So the question really isn't about those issues today. The question is about what do you do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, how do you respond to a world losing its mind? How do you respond when it feels like you're surrounded by people who've been overwhelmed by their burdens and they're acting out accordingly? Well, the Bible has a lot to say on this subject. You may not be surprised to hear that. This is from Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul wrote this letter and he, he wrote, the son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He was before all things and in all things, in him, all things hold together. So in the first part of this passage, Paul's just basically legitimizing Jesus, telling us that Jesus was more than just a man. He's an eternal figure. He's God. Verse 18 says, and he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And here we go. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So for Christians, when, whenever we talk about peace and peacemaking, we have to talk about the cross. Because in the New Testament, um, through the New Testament lens, the cross is the um, premier instrument of peace. 
And this is one of the ways that Jesus turned the world upside down. Because before Jesus, believe me when I tell you, the cross was anything but an instrument of peace. This is like a total paradigm shift that Jesus proposed by making the cross, which was the preeminent symbol of abject terror and torture and shame into the symbol of peace, only Jesus could do that. But that's exactly what Paul is proposing. Now, when Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to take up your cross and follow me, I think he had this in mind before the fact. Jesus had this in mind. But when his followers heard him say that, when they heard the word cross, peacemaking was the last thing they thought about. The cross was a symbol of state-sanctioned terror. And it had been around for a few centuries before that, but the Roman um, Empire perfected the art of crucifixion. They loved terrorizing their subjects, terrorizing the lands and the people that they occupied. And that's what historians call Pax Romana, right? Peace by force, basically. Part of that force was the cross. So whenever Jesus' followers thought of the cross, they thought of things like terror, trauma, pain, and shame. The people who followed Jesus had seen the crosses that the Romans put up especially around big cities like Jerusalem. Every time they went to the Jerusalem temple for one of the festivals or to offer a sacrifice or to worship God, every time they made that trip, they passed through the gates where the Roman crosses stood. And oftentimes I imagine they saw men dying on those crosses and the Romans were happy to leave those men suffering up on those crosses for as long as possible because part of the crucifixion model was a deterrent. It was meant to deter future potential criminals from committing the crimes they they might otherwise commit. And so they left these men crucified up on their crosses, oftentimes with nails through their wrists and through their feet, always naked for the whole world to see, fully exposed in their shame, up on the cross with a sign over their head that dictated what crime they had committed. The whole point was to absolutely dehumanize and terrorize the people, not just the ones on the cross, but the ones passing by who saw the cross. That's why when Jesus said, take up your cross, it must have been such an incredible thing to think about for his followers. So why did he choose to use that language? Why did he set such a high bar? You know, I thought for Christians, it's a matter of just trusting Jesus took the cross. Like he took the cross so we wouldn't have to. Haven't you heard that before? Yeah. And then Jesus comes along and says, if you don't take up your cross, you have no place with me. Why? Well, I think it's because to embrace Jesus is to embrace his mission on earth. And the mission of Jesus on earth is to make peace. To make peace between us and God and to make peace between people, between me and my brother. 
right? And so to embrace Jesus is to embrace that mission. And to, to make peace, we must take up the cross. To make peace in the way of Jesus means to take up your cross and follow him. And whenever we do that in the real world, whenever we try to be peacemakers in a broken world where so many people are incapable or unable or frustrated by their, by their burdens, they can't carry them because it's too much for them, they're overwhelmed. We're going, to, we're going to face difficulty. We're going to face trials. There are some things that come along with being a follower of Jesus in the real world that that go far beyond just going to church on a Sunday morning. Things like when you decide to take up your cross and follow Jesus, you are signing up for, you know, criticism that you may not deserve, punishment that you may not deserve. When we look at Jesus on the cross, he was taking punishment he did not deserve. And they put the sign over his head, King of the Jews, and he's just pure innocence up there, put to shame. That's oftentimes what it means to follow him in this world, to take up your cross, is often to absorb a punishment that you may not deserve. It it could also mean looking wrong even when you're right. I know I've talked about this a few times in the past, but... I can't tell you how many families, relationships, et cetera, has been lost because we insist on being right instead of on being Jesus. When we get caught up in these issues and arguments, especially, friends, in election years, it's so easy to let our desire to be proven right get in the way of reconciliation and peacemaking. When Jesus was hanging up on that cross, most of the people who passed by thought he deserved it and they thought he was wrong, even though we know he was innocent and that he was in the right. And sometimes following him means, even for a short time, accepting other people's accusations without fighting back, accepting other people's arguments without needing to be right, taking the cross for a time, even though it hurts for the sake of making peace in the longer term. Third, I think taking up the cross means being willing to be shamed. Even if that is being shamed by shameful people, people that aren't following Jesus themselves, people that have some obvious grievous sins in their lives that would be the easiest thing for you to judge. Sometimes you absorb shame that you may not really deserve. Why? For the sake of Jesus and his cross. Because that's what he did for us. Because we're not in this world, we're not living this life following Jesus just to be right and righteous and proud of ourselves all the time. Part of following Jesus is being willing to go in his footsteps. The Apostle Paul again wrote uh, this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I love uh, this passage and what it says about our circumstances. Paul wrote, two Christians who, by the way, were being crucified themselves uh, and not just taking up figurative crosses like us. He wrote, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. 
nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, even if people don't see what we're living for, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Then he says this, don't be confused by this. He says, the God of this age, and he's talking about the enemy here, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves. We're not trying to be right. What we preach is not our opinions. What we preach is not just our subjective thoughts. It's not our ideas. What we preach is Christ. We are servants for Christ's sake. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, are, we, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. We are doing more here on this earth. We're living for more than just the stuff that this world tells us to live for. We're living for more than just momentary happiness. We're living for more than just wealth and comfort. We're living to reveal the living God in Jesus Christ. Even if it means taking up crosses, even if it means absorbing pain and shame that we may not feel we deserve, even if it means being wrong when we're actually right, what that means is we're living for more than just us. We're living for Jesus. And I think that's what my wife is teaching me. I think that's how she, at 5'3 and tiny little arms, carries burdens much bigger than she should be able to carry because she's living for something greater than herself. And she knows someone who is much greater than herself. And every time she takes on burdens, mine and the kids and the church and her friends and her family, every time she's just transporting those burdens over to Jesus. He took her cross for her so that she can take ours for us. And when she takes them on, she takes them to Jesus. That is how she does it. That is where her superpower comes from. And that is a model for all of us to look to. As we live in this world full of people trying to carry burdens that are overwhelming them, burdens that are breaking them, burdens like oppression, burdens like deep, pain of the past you'll never see. Do you understand that when you're faced with someone who's obviously angry, 
obviously outraged, obviously hurting. Do you know they have a story? Do you know that their past hides secrets you may never know about? Pain you may never understand? Can you, even at a time like this, when we're all stretched to the limits, can you overcome uh, compassion fatigue? Can you go to Jesus so he fills your tank before you go into the world that empties you out again? Can you carry burdens that other people are being broken by? That requires you, before leaving your house in the morning, to hand your burden over to Jesus so your shoulders are freed up to take on someone else's paint. Every day, y'all, we have a choice to be agents of peace and healing or just to pile on and make it worse. I pray that we choose to make peace by giving our burdens to Jesus and then walking out into the world and taking on other people's burdens. And when we get back home, we hand those to Jesus too. He is sufficient. He can handle what we cannot. When we live in a world in need, we're called to be the agents who make peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is a, this is a difficult season we're in. You know better than, than we do just how many people are suffering and hurting and, and how low our um, resources for compassion often run. We need you, Father. We need you right now. Some of us need you right now more than ever to help us shoulder the burdens we're carrying for the sake of us going into the world and shouldering the burdens of others. Show us what it means to be peacemakers, Father. And not just self-righteous religious people who walk around looking down our noses at everybody. Show us how to make peace, Father, because somebody's got to in this broken, angry world. We pray that it would begin with us. We who bear your name, Jesus, show us what it means to carry our crosses. We thank you, Father, for this reminder today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.